Now it's clear when you look at Jesus' teaching in the Gospels that there is no way that we're meant to literally hate our nearest and dearest. Jesus commanded his followers to love even their enemies. On more than one occasion, though, Jesus used hyperbole to make a point. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying that his followers' love and devotion for him, it should be so great that any other love seems like hatred by comparison. And by listing the closest human relationships, Jesus was making the point that there was nothing, there was no one that ought to come close to our passion for him, not even our love for ourselves. Notice in that list in verse 26, Jesus singles out love for self for special attention. And that's because he knew that self-love is the strongest love of all. We are most passionate about ourselves. Now, we might not think that. Some of us can actually have a, a very negative view of ourselves. We can battle with feelings of insecurity or low self-esteem. You know, some people look in the mirror and they hate what is looking back at them. Often, psychological advice is directed at having a higher view of ourselves. So why does Jesus single out self-love as the strongest love of all? Well, that's because self-centeredness, self-satisfaction, self-righteousness, selfishness, self-pity, and even self-loathing, they all have one thing in common. They focus on the self. They place me in the middle at the center. And it's in that sense that we can speak of self-love. Whether I feel good about myself or not, the point is self-love focuses on the self. And when our eyes are on ourselves, well, they're not on Jesus. You know, sometimes the call to follow Jesus is presented in a way that makes it sound like the easiest decision that we could ever make. Come to Jesus and you'll have everything you ever wanted. You'll have your best life now. Uh, you'll never have to worry about anything ever again. Well, that's certainly not how Jesus called people. In verse 25, we're told that a great crowd was there following him. You know, no doubt many of them were along for the ride. They'd, they'd uh, maybe been amazed by the teaching of Jesus or they'd seen some of the wonderful miracles that he'd performed. You know, Jesus was very much the man of the moment. But he wasn't interested in great crowds. By the end of his ministry, Jesus' followers numbered 120. The call to follow him came with an extraordinary cost. Three times in this passage, Jesus tells those who followed him along that road that if they weren't willing to give up everything they held dear, then they couldn't be his disciples. And that meant even their own lives. That's what he says in verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, Jesus' listeners would have known exactly what that meant. The cross was a reference to the most brutal form of execution that was on hand for the Romans. It's where our word excruciating comes from, out of the cross. If Rome wanted to make an example of someone, they would meet out a form of death which was as agonizing as it was shameful. The crucified criminal was nailed 
to a wooden cross and he was strung up naked and bleeding for all to see as he suffocated to death. It was a form of execution that was designed to humiliate. It stripped away every sense of self from the victim. Dignity, status, worth, replaced with suffering, shame, and curse. And Jesus says, unless you're willing to die to yourself like that, unless you're willing to count the cost, then you cannot be his disciple. And he illustrates his point in verse 28. He says, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So uh, Jesus gives two examples that make it clear that he's not interested in people rushing in to following him. He doesn't want anyone to be misled into committing to him. He wants them to first consider what's involved. Devotion to Jesus, it means renouncing our right to ourselves. It means trusting him even when the going gets tough, when persecution comes. Or when following him might mean the loss of opportunities or jobs or freedoms or friendships or family relationships or even our lives. You know, many of Jesus' followers across the world and down the ages have lost all of those things. And Jesus says, verse 33, so therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has, cannot be my disciple. Notice he doesn't say that, that without total commitment to him, you can still be an okay disciple. No, he says you cannot be his disciple at all. Now, these are extremely hard words. I wonder if you reflect on your own experience, maybe over the past couple of years, how would you uh, characterize your relationship with Jesus? Would you say it's been marked by this kind of passionate devotion to him? Or have your eyes been more often not on yourself, on your comfort, on all that maybe you've had to miss out on? If I'm honest, I've often found the case to be the latter. And I hear this call of complete devotion and I think, how can I ever live up to that? How do we give up the temptation to love ourselves to this extent when that temptation is there a thousand times a day? Well, the answer is that by our own strength, we can't. We continually fall short. But the wonderful news of the gospel is that the one who calls us to bear our cross... He's gone before us. This whole incident took place while Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. The whole middle section of Luke's gospel from chapter 9 to chapter 19, it, it, it covers that journey. 
And at the beginning and the end of this section, Jesus explains why he was going there. In chapter 9, verse 22, referring to himself as the Son of Man, he says to his disciples, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. So Jesus set out on that journey to Jerusalem knowing full well where that destination would lead. His love was utterly selfless. He was willing to endure the shame and the humiliation and the curse of the cross in our place. And he was willing to do that for every moment where we don't love him as we ought, where instead we love ourselves. And because he did that, anyone who trusts in him can know what it is to stand before him forgiven and blameless before God, safe in the knowledge that because Jesus rose to life, we too will one day be raised to enjoy a glorious eternity with him. Where every time we've had to suffer, every time we've had to pay a price, every time we've had to count the cost, will be seen to have been infinitely worth it. And so we can count the cost and follow him knowing that he's already borne the cost in our place. And he doesn't leave us to do this on our own. His spirit now dwells within his people, empowering us and enabling us to battle that temptation to live for ourselves. Jesus wants us to count the cost before we follow him. But he also wants us to know that he doesn't expect us to go alone. He's gone before us. And by his spirit, he promises to go with us every step of the way. Through every trial, every temptation, he promises never to leave us, never to forsake us. And it's a promise that he makes to us today. It's a promise that he makes to us as we go in to this next week with whatever that might involve, whatever challenges we might face over the next seven days, we can know that we face them with our Savior walking before us and walking with us. Let's pray together. Lord God, these are, are hard words, they're challenging words, they're words that we can't possibly live up to. Lord, as we think over uh, each day where uh, countless times we live for ourselves, we, we look away from you. And yet, Lord, we praise and thank you that um, we can know that because Jesus has gone before us, because he walked that path and he died the death that we deserve to die and he rose to life, we can know that, that for every time we fail, for every time we, we struggle, there is one who has done everything perfectly and it's because of him and our trust in him that we can stand blameless before our Father today, sure of the hope of resurrection, sure of the hope of eternity. So Lord, we pray that as we remember that and as uh, your spirit works within us, that we would, we would live each day with a, a desire to know you more, a, a desire to find our security and our identity, not in ourselves, but in you and in all you've done for us. 
And we pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.